Hello and welcome. We are up to episode 16 of My Fancy Zamboni. Um, we are joined this week by Mr. David Grant. Hello, Dave. Hello, Joe. Hello, everyone else. You all have a good Christmas? Uh, yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, Gref, we are joined by Mr. Gareth Dutton as well. Hello, Gref. Hello, Joe. Hello. How are we? Dave uh, McCall, but I'll be good. How are you? I'm not too bad, mate, not too bad. Um, and we are also joined by Mr Andrew Stafford, who's finally managed to solve his dispute with Samsung uh, and is calling in from, I believe, his laptop today. How are we, Andy? Not so bad, Joe. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. It's Jonas Westerlings here. Um, <laughs> so, um, as Greff says, um, he's dying with a cold. Um, he, we were hoping to have us all in the same room today because um, Gref was supposed to be coming over to Sheffield um, but uh, we're back on video link as usual so the sound should be fairly similar um, what it does mean is you may notice some coughing from time to time between Gref and, and the other three because I've got a bit of a cough going at the minute so we apologise for that um, but over the last uh, well over the last week and a bit since we've uh, last done an episode uh, there's been a fair bit going on the, the Blaze beat the Devils in a shock result on Boxing Day um, shock result except for, for Dave who called that one uh, the Steelers took four points against the Panthers in their double header um, again <laughs> called by Dave and uh, the Storm beat the Giants 3-2 to kick the first lot of our fixtures off that was actually predicted by none of us um, guys you got any headlock highlights from the week and a bit just gone um, it would be not Christmas if it weren't four points from the Panthers. So Merry Christmas uh, to the Panthers. But on a serious point about that, 16,000 hockey fans in two games is a superb um, image for the game of hockey in this country. And given one of them games was on free sport, um, that is just a fantastic um, thing for the, for the game in this country and a great advert. A lot of buildings are also close to selling out across the UK. But them two, 16,000 across two days... Superb. The results just made it even better. I think mine would be, obviously, Storm beating Giants. No, none of us had that coming along. <laughs> and also, a special mention would go out to the penalty shootout in Nottingham from you guys. The Lucas penalty, that was really nice. And then Justin Kovacs, that was just a thing of beauty as well. Oh, yes. Very Datsyuk-esque, that wasn't it? A nice little lob of uh, a Jackson whistle. Andy, you got any highlights? Yeah, my highlight is uh, the Comptra Blaze uh, beating the Cardiff Devils by four goals to three. It was a massive win for the Blaze. Uh, they came from behind twice uh, with goals from uh, Matt Pope, who scored first for the Devils after just 11 seconds. And then the uh, Blaze tied things up with Dylan Lawrence. Uh, then the Devils took four advantage again for Gleason Fournier. Uh, they had on to that, to that one goal lead into the third period, and then uh, back came the Blaze with Team Crowder, level things. And then took the lead uh, with uh, Ben Lake, uh, scoring a power play goal. Fournier got one back for the Devils uh, to again tie things up, uh, but then Ross Phoenix scored his 50th uh, Blaze in, in Blaze colours to give us a massive two points that keeps me in touch with the player places. Yeah, only important win that, as you say, keeping them up in the top eight or keeping them towards that top eight, uh, the position that everybody, particularly that side of the table, wants to be in at the moment. Um, funny story about that game. Me and Dave were actually on our way back from um, from Nottingham at the point that that game's been played, and, and Dave kind of said to me, oh, it's 1-0. It's um, and then I, oh, we both kind of said, oh, it's 1-1. One, one. 
And I turned round to Dave to say, oh, it's 2-1 Devils now. And Dave is just completely KO'd on the chair. <laughs> Mouth open, just completely <laughs> sparkled. Yeah. Um, think it had been a bit of a long day, but... Um, yeah, yeah. It totally it's was Christmas the time. You spend all the time and energy with family and friends. Yeah, you got to get some shut eyes on man. I know you were the only person I was talking to on the bus. You led for. <laughs> I'm blaming you for me falling asleep. Um, my highlight, in fairness, I mean, Stars Flyers was was one for me. I know that we we three out of the four of us predicted the actual result, but it was a difficult one to predict. It weren't for me. Was was one of the games that could have gone either way. And could have easily been predicted to go either way. Um, obviously, it was a 5-4 win for the Stars on Boxing Day. And then, obviously, the Flyers got the return win 3-0 the next day. But two good games for them, splitting the points. Um, I always kind of think, if you, know, if you go into a doubleheader against against people like that, you go into a two-game uh, weekend against the same team, it can't be a bad weekend if you come out of that splitting the points, particularly particularly from like Sheffield's point of view, obviously going in and playing Panthers, Splitting the points against them, I'd have taken that. I'd have taken it when we when we split the points against Giants. So, um, yeah, good results for uh, for the Stars and the Flyers there, um, and a fantastic result as you say for Sheffield getting the, the, the four points from that weekend. Um, quite a quiet week in terms of changes. Um, I say that with some surprise in my voice. Obviously, it has been Christmas and uh, and you know been a bit of a break, so no surprise there. And obviously, you would kind of hope that the changes tail off at this point of the season, but. Um, nevertheless, the Belfast Giants made a nice announcement on Christmas Day. They have re-signed Chris Higgins. What do we reckon to that, gents? It's a good signing for him. Um, so long as he can bring that fall back to when he last played for the Giants. Um, he was pivotal in their success. Uh, the Belfast Gatsu, because he was christened. Um, he just makes them a, a dangerous, even more dangerous uh, proposition, as they already are. But a body that they'll need, they're going to have a load of games coming up. Um, the, this weekend alone, science tonight, if three games in three days, um, I believe they don't have any more games until the week after, when it's the Sheffield doubleheader. And then the week after that, it's the El Cup Super Final. So over you know two weeks, you've got eight games, um, and neither game is going to be easy, especially the latter end of that is going to be tougher games. Um, okay, they're at home. I think for the vast majority of it, if you've got one of them, the other way. Um, but still, they need bodies. And if you can add a player of that calibre, and if he can hit the form straight away, or at least get close to it straight away, it, it only helps the Giants and their, their, their chase for the title. Yeah, I agree with Granny on that one. It's, if you can bring in the form that he did last time he played in the Elite League, where he got 20 goals, 20 plus goals and 35 assists, that's going to be uh, a, a really good. <laughs> firepower to have. Put that with the likes of Darcy Murphy, Patrick Dwyer, Blair Riley, you're going to be hoping to get a lot of goals. I mean, already so far this season, I think they've scored like 123 goals or something like that. That's going to be going up even higher with that caliber of player. Yeah, if it brings a form that he uh, played in the, in, the, in the league previously with Belfast and Nottingham, I mean, uh, the first game in Belfast in 2013, he got uh, 50 points. They went Nottingham 30 points. Then he returned to Belfast, got 30 points. And then the last season uh, in 16-17, again in Belfast, 55 points. So some really good, uh, some really good points up there. Uh, but my only concern would he have not been playing last year 
that's my main concern. Let's, uh, so we'll just see how, how good he is after having a year out, if he's still got that scoring touch and um, put up points and it's a good signing for the Giants. Yeah, I can see this signing going one of two ways. Um, always a bit of a risk of signing a guy that, that was such a um, such a big player for them previously, and then you know signing him again, particularly after a season off. Um, you know, it has all the potential to be a, a, a bigger, you know, groundbreaking signing and a difference maker, uh, particularly in a team that are looking to get an elite league title. Obviously, pushing for that number one spot. Uh, and obviously looking for the Continental Cup title as well. Um, as you say, Andy, a good point scorer. Um, you know, 165 points in 156 EIHL games, so 1.06 points per game is, is certainly nothing to be uh, to turn your nose up at. Um, but, I mean, you've covered it all off as far as I can say. Not playing in 2017-18 could be the pivotal factor. What's his fitness like? Has he been playing in the season off? Um, or is it a case that they need a body? Um, they've asked him if he'll come back, and he said yes after having a, a you know a season and a bit off of, of not really doing a great deal. Um, time will tell. Um, I certainly don't think it'll be a negative signing. Um, it just depends on the impact that he's going to have. I don't. I'd be amazed if he had the impact that he had last time that he was wearing the teal uh, the teal colours for Belfast. But you know we could always be proven wrong there. We could do it, and also we've had a number of players who signed the Elite League this year that have had that six-month year gap, and they've been, you know, the top. They've been there, the top-end players of the season. So, you know, all be well from a Belfast position. He'll be just another player that just carried on the form and and being the top-end player. But it's a it's a great point that Andy's mentioned. You know, that year off, it'll, you know, how long how long can he get into uh, into the rhythm and everything? It's it's like I say, especially in the next couple of weeks, it's a big stint for the Giants yeah absolutely um, moving on from that signing obviously say certainly a wait and see signing there and um, you know I guess it, I guess we'll be looking back at it at the end of the season we may be looking back and saying you no know, great move by Adam Keefe or we may be saying you know maybe it didn't turn out the way that they wanted but only time will tell on that front um, moving from that um, we've had a bit of action from the recently fairly quiet Dops uh, they've actually made a decision on three games. Um, the first gref was Andreas Valdix. Do you want to fill us in on that? Yeah, it was a uh, Valdix got two-game suspension for I think it's like check to the head. Which when I watched the the video of it itself, it was a blindside hit. He's literally got into a Jake Morissette, leaned his shoulder in, and just. Head contact straight off. That was it. Was pretty careless. It was silly. And uh, so we we looked at it um, the video last week, and, and and at first at first look, I, I thought it was a bit maybe even caused by um, a bit of stick work from um, the Cardiff play. My apologies. Um, but you look at it again and again, it just becomes a bit more obvious that it's not um, accidental. It's you know he's gone to 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 do gone for the hit. There's no puck in the area, so it's not like he's gone for the puck. Um, it's, it's, but it's a, it's just it's not good at all. It's and, and if Valdix ain't that type of player, if I'm honest, in this time in Sheffield and obviously his time for Milton Keynes, he's not that type of player to make them type of hits. Um, so unless something happened within the game, it's not justification. Um, but it's, when you see players like that do things. Like in this case with Aldix, it's, it's just surprising. You wonder where it's come from. Um, 
I think two games is probably about right, um, if we're honest, because it weren't a blighted out and out headshot, um, but still needed to be. It still needed to be punished. Yeah, it was definitely uh, in, in terms of contact to the head or the uh, or the neck area. Uh, from, from what I saw from replay, yeah, I probably took it two games about right, two or three, give or take. Uh, but yeah, it was totally intentional, uh, right on the player. There was targeted and everything. Um, but yeah, it, it's a good call from Dops to get in there straight away uh, as quick as it did and, uh, and, and and solve the issue and give it him a two game ban. Yeah, Dops were um, Dops were very efficient in giving out that ban and they, they've done the same thing later on in the week as well, but we'll come around to that in a moment. Um, I have to say, uh, there are a couple of things about this that I question. Um, I don't think... I, I don't understand, for me, I, I don't think it can fall under Category 1. I'd have it under Category 2. I'd have it as reckless. Um, I think from from his body position and the way he, move, he moves his body up, he shows some kind of intent to take a higher hit. The reason that I'd be saying reckless rather than careless is because it doesn't even appear, I believe it was Morissette that he was that he was going in for the hit on, and it doesn't even look really like Morissette is, is on the puck. Um, it looks and and, and the, the angle in fairness is from behind on the on, on the video, so I may be wrong, but it looks to me like the puck is kind of more closer to being under the under the goalie or in in the in the kind of scrum in front of net. It doesn't actually look like Morissette is on the puck. Um, very very strange hit um, from Valdix. Gref, you, you're probably the best person to say yay or nay on this one, but if memory serves me right. Valdix pulled off a, a fairly similar head check in a game against the Storm at the start of the season. I believe it was the game where Byers ended up getting a ban later on. I think it was Byers. Um, and I think that all kind of kicked off with a head check from Valdix. I, I don't know if you can see yeah, it. Yeah, it was, it was on Springer that he did the head check on. And Byers did get a ban for a third man in. It was pretty much like the same type of hit. It, it was... I'm surprised he got away with it then, but I think he seems he's done it again. They're like, right, you're getting two, two game suspension now. Yeah, I can't complain with a two game. I, I, I kind of I agree with Andy. I, I'd, have, I'd have said two or three games. If it, if it was me, I'd have been saying three. But you know, from a player who, generally speaking, it's you know it's not a common thing. As I say, it has happened once this season, but he wasn't called for it. He's not considered a repeat offender because he didn't get a call for that. Um, I guess a two game I can't I can't fault it to be fair um, another two game suspension has been handed out to Luke Moffat Andy do you want to tell us a little bit more about that I haven't seen that one I'm have you not seen it Dave have you seen that one um, I've seen it yeah it's um, so there was um, a very quiet game between the Giants and the Storm um, not many penalties um, handed out throughout the game uh, apart from three fights at the same time and in this particular fight um, Moffitt's managed to get the helmets uh, off of his opponent and he's used it um, in, a, in, in a part of the fight where he's hit, I think he's hit him two or three times on the head um, with the helmet now I, I've not seen that since Chris Sitsky uh, back in the Super League days and that was against Manchester Storm just ironically, um, so I, I can't recover. You know that being done before. Is it heat of the moment as well? I've just grabbed and, and swung, but it's stupid. Everyone knows if you're going to get in that type of 
you know, altercation that. You know, <laughs> be honest, you, you, know, you do it the right way. Using the helmet's not. That, it's a bit of a, a poor uh, show for Moffat. Um, so, interestingly, they have, adopted in their explanation used fan footage, which I believe, members of like, they actually did, I know we spoke offline about this, they mentioned uh, a couple of years ago that they weren't going to, like, on the allowed to use fan footage in determining suspensions or bans. Now, on this occasion, actually, it does help, um, and it's a good bit of fan footage, um, someone who's by the plexim and by the, the, the altercation. So it was actually quite well used. Um, but it's interesting that uh, Dops War are now beginning to use fan footage uh, in terms of uh, delivering suspensions to players. My concern is how and where it leads to is where they're going to, you know, where's the parameters of using fan footage? Um, I mean, this, in this occasion, it was good use, you know, fair play to the league for doing that, but it's how far could they go and what's the precedent set in using fan footage? I'll throw that to you three guys. See, for, for me, for, even with my blinkers on being a Star fan and all that, I didn't think it would have been the a, a two game. I mean, we've seen it happen in plenty of fights over the season where you're throwing punches and the next minute you go, oh, I've got someone's helmet in my hand. I mean, in the, in the footage yourself, his head is like on Dwyer's shoulder. So you can't really say, yeah, he knew he had it. I mean, it's silly that it's happened. And I, obviously you can't condone it. But it's one of those. It's, I mean, one game would have been sufficient for me personally, but I just didn't think it was worthy of the two. I mean, it's, I, I know one, but I know, I've, I've, sorry, Dave, it was, I had a, I saw a tweet from a, a Belfast fan saying, linking it to the Grimaldi incident. I laughed at that one because I was like, well, Grimaldi actually took his helmet and chucked it at a player. That isn't what Moffat did. I'd, I'd buy what you're saying, mate, in respect of, it's, you know, it's one match of if you're going to do it once. Had he swung and used him and gone, oh, dear, or words to that effect, and then dropped the helmet. He's hit him two or three times. Once you get to that number, then you've kind of got to go, yeah, he's, he's realising it and he's using it. Once you can kind of go, he's use it in the heat of the moment and gone, and then, oh, dear, he's dropped it. But once he goes two, three times, which he has done, you kind of got to go, nah, he's got the helmet and he's using it in the in the fight. I, I must, I, I, I can't agree with what you're saying there, mate. And like I said, one, one use of it, yeah, it's a bit reckless, it's a bit stupid when they've gone and got rid of it, but it, he's used it two or three times. I think two games is fine, because you, you can't do that in them altercations. If you're going to have an altercation, use your fists. Don't use other um, apparatus, like a helmet. They were using gloves, but yeah, that's why debates are good for this yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've seen things on social media of people saying, I don't think he realises he's got his helmet in his hand. I, I think his helmet got caught on his glove. I, I'm kind of, I'm on your kind of side with this, Dave. I think it's a load of rubbish. I apologise, crap. I'm not necessarily saying your argument's rubbish because that's not what you said. People saying that it's got caught in his glove and he's carried on. Um, I mean, if he's throwing a punch, um, A, he shouldn't be having his glove on anyway. Uh, but B... If he's throwing a punch, um, you know the, the helmet ain't gonna stick in his glove that much, particularly not if he's if he's holding it as a fist. Anybody who knows a glove 
Um, and you know, it's worn on hockey glove. Now it's got you know it's got paneling on each on each part of the finger. And the only time really that you're going to get it caught between the paneling is if your hands open because the paneling kind of like kind of closes up to be straight. Um, but I, I just I don't know. I just I, I just kind of think there's no way on God's earth that he, he's, he's taking his helmet off. I don't necessarily think he maybe fully intended to hit him in the back of the head with it. I just don't think he just. I, I don't know. I just think he didn't think. Oh, I'm going to drop this. He just thought I'm going to carry on throwing the punches, and, and as a result, he ended up hitting him in the back of the head. Um, two games for me, pretty spot on. Liking it to the Grimaldi thing is just completely, <laughs> completely ludicrous. I mean, Grimaldi who takes off his own helmet and throws was it his own helmet or was it the other guy's helmet that he threw at him? It's his own. I thought it was his own. Yeah, launching your own helmet at a player and then hitting a player. Yeah, in the back he, of the head he goes in to get his hel- both helmets off for the fight, but the time he's got his other helmet, he's launched. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah. The the thing that makes me laugh about the video is when the the comment when the um you know the, the like the commentary over the top or the explanation over the top of the Dops video says um oh he hits him on the back of the head with a helmet and the player isn't wearing a helmet and you think well no of course he's not wearing a helmet because he's hitting him on the back of the head with his helmet don't think you really need to tell us that he's not wearing a helmet um but yeah I don't know I, for me silly move I I don't really think it can be defended I don't think he intended to hit him on the back of the head with a helmet. If that makes sense, I don't think the cognitive link was there. Of I'm going to hit him in the back of the head with it. I just kind of think he thought I'm going to carry on throwing punches. I'm not really going to bother to drop this. Um, he'll, he'll pop I, will, I will say one thing you just said there about being kind of really lame in terms of of the whole scenario. And I think in these videos they've kind of got to be, and even to the point of making it really obvious, like you just said there, they, they kind of have to. Um, they're not videos that, ha- that are allowed to be vague. As daft that may sound, and like likes of ourselves will understand. Well, of course his helm's up there. Yeah. But to the layman's terms, that you've got to kind of really paint the whole picture and the understanding from where the leaks come from. Um, but yeah, I must. I I laughed at that, and then you think, well, in fairness, yeah, yeah. you kind of got to you know put the whole picture in perspective. But yeah. Yeah, no, no I, I agree. I, I completely understand why he said it, but I had to, he did give me a chuckle as I was listening to it, and it was always. And the player is not he's not wearing a helmet, and I just thought, yeah, well, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see an issue with the fan footage thing, to be honest, either. Um, I can see when it can get a little bit more dangerous, but <coughs> at, at the end of the day, the fan footage shows a different angle to what's been obtained, and you know, particularly in certain rinks, there are only certain angles available. Um, particularly in that kind of fight up against the plexi may not be an angle available from the same angle as the fan footage. Um, I, I, you know, it's not it's not like it's going to be edited footage. It's not like anybody's going out of the way to tamper with the footage and they've superimposed the helmet in his hand to make it look like he's hitting him in the back of the head. You know, it, it, all it is is another angle. Personally, don't see a problem with it. I guess, you know, you go down a dangerous route if we are saying we're not using it and then we are using it, but... If anything, for me, it just added. It added to the. It added to the video. It added to the explanation. I don't necessarily even think it added to the amount of games that he was given. I don't think it really. I don't think it showed anything that the other footage didn't. I just think it kind of showed an alternate angle to give you a full picture. Um, but it supported it very well. It, yeah, exactly. And and if it supports it, and if if it can be used in that aspect, I don't see that there's a problem with it. But if that's what we're going to do, I think we need to be clear and open with it and say. This is, you know, this is the bottom line. If fan footage can be used to give a further explanation, then it will be, rather than just, oh, by the way. But we go back to the transparency side of things, which is, you know, maybe being a little bit 
more lapsed or maybe been a bit different than it has been in the past. And it may be something we may get in the next week or so just as a explanation as to where Dops will be using and what they can use. Um, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Um, the last incident was Finucci, um, I believe. Bit more of a difficult one to discuss because there's not actually a video out of this incident yet. But it was Carlo Finucci. He's been banned for two games uh, for an incident which was deemed as slashing. Uh, having a look at just what they said, the incident is deemed Category 1 careless, uh, caused by insufficient attention or thought to avoid harm or error. Um, the key points that are highlighted in the article about it are it was uh, slashing, it was targeted, and it was on an unsuspecting opponent. Um, I have to say, I don't know what you guys think, but if anything, that really makes me want to see a video. Yeah, I think a video is definitely uh, required. Um I think it was like in the first three or four minutes of the game, um, which obviously, you know, big down the game uh, between Fife and Dundee. So something really must have, you know, it must have been a bad slash for it to, to even get a game that's going to never mind two games um, that early in the game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the video just to understand where it's all, what's happened, what started it, and what's led to Fanucci doing that. Again, another player who's, you don't, you don't see his name, and Dops videos um, so something must have happened to really trigger him um, and he's, he's just going playing baseball a lot of the time that you've seen that type of player don't you I mean it happened with Tyler Mozienko in his last year for the Steelers where um, you know he, he took that many slashes butt ends cross checks and things like that off play he worked a lot in the dirty areas and, and you know it happened once I think it was against the Panthers May have even been in one of the Boxing Day games. I can't really remember, but I think he took a bad hit or something like that, and he just lost it. He ended up getting about a two-match ban for spearing or something like that in the end. Um, you know, it, it happens. If something's happened to rile him up, then he's seen red. Maybe I don't, obviously we can only we can only speculate at this point. But two-match ban for slashing, as you say, it's going to be a bad one. According to a report that that's released, it was a he took exception to a a, a body check. So that's probably what set it off, and the report says he, he done a, a baseball-like swing with a stick, so yeah, that's going to be a good one to watch. Yeah, so go on, Anna. That's why, as I say, it must have thought it was in the pure lumberjack mode then. Uh, with, with, with the way it sounds, get two games, but the one thing I will say about Dops is, uh, with all the incidents that have happened, Dobbs have been quite consistent, you know, we've got two games, two games, two games, and this is what I'm, I'm liking this. Now, he's, he's not just a random sort of figure, you know, for deemed on what severity it is or, or what, it's not random, it, it's consistent, and that's one thing I'm liking so far. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Andy. It's, they've, they've kind of, they've made sure <coughs> anything that's kind of got three games or more that it's had to be really severe. And in fairness, if you look at it, Yes, bad play needs suspending. But then, as that sounds on the flip side of the coin, you also want to see your players involved as much as possible. So it's you know it's a bit of a you know um, hard place in a bit of world types now where you do you want to give them a, pro a good suspension, really send a message, or give them a suspension, but you still have your good players involved. Not saying to condone bad play, but it's, it's kind of that you know argument of, of where the line is, and I think Dops has. After the beginning of the season, being very quiet in what they were doing, they really are setting the tone. Show, you know, 
making sure it's all very quick. I mean, I know this week's suspensions have been out within you know 12 hours or so, given if they're able to get the, the voiceovers to do everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's, it's just good to have Dops be really effective on the ball, telling... I mean, obviously, the teams will know before the fans, but an exp- a public explanation of what's happening very quickly. And, and as a fan of the game, that's what that's, you want that. You want to know why, not just turn up and go, oh, X import's been suspended. Why is that? Well, Dops has done it. Well, why have they done it? I don't know. So we get, as a fan, we're getting that knowledge. We get that information. So, yeah, I, I'm, you know, another tick in the box for Dops this year so far. Yeah, I think they've been consistent all year for me. Um, and I, I agree, I'm, I'm liking... I'm liking that consistency. I agree. We don't seem to be over penalising things at the moment, which is nice. Um, completely agree with what you said, Dave. You know, we don't condone the, um, you know, the dirty plays per se. I'll say that in inverted commas, obviously, because not not all can be categorised under the same, under you know, the the same brush. But you know, we we don't condone that kind of action. But at the same time, it's it's hockey. It's it's a contact sport. We want to see a bit of rough stuff. We want to see a, you know, we want to see a few fights. If this is a move back into old school hockey, you know, I'll be happy. But um, as you say, it's always nice to have that bit of consistency. And it's also it's been fantastic to see, um, you know, the speed that they've come back with with the with the reviews on certain ones to make sure that it's not a case of. Oh, they've done this on the first, on the game on the Saturday. Say they've played on the Sunday, and then we've decided on the Tuesday that they've got a ban because then realistically they shouldn't have played the game on the Sunday. So it's good to see that speed and that quick turnover. Um, obviously, in particularly with the Finucci incident, obviously sometimes means that we don't get the video. I'm sure, that the video will be made public sooner. Uh, sorry, later. I um, know obviously they said that a video would follow. So I, I, absolutely no grumbles from me on that front. Just to throw something in what you were saying in terms of the video, I mean, the the ex-media person, um, uh, Rob McGregor, uh, mentioned about how the whole process is on one of the uh, the hockey forums. And one of the things he said was it was getting the time to actually do the video and the voiceover. So obviously the clubs will know the guys are spending, but actually getting the time to do the voiceover. So the new guy, Luke Fisher, um, over Christmas just may not have had the time Um Obviously, he still lives in, in mainland Europe, I believe. So just get the time to be able to, to put aside, get the information, do the voiceover, but make sure it's good enough and fit for purpose. So I don't mind waiting for the video. I'll, I'll have to wait for the video a week. But so long as the information, the, the detail, is given to the club so that the if a suspension goes straight away. That's that's the key thing. Um, I think the quality of video has stepped up as well over it. Maybe even last year as well. Um, I think it, over the last couple of years... Um, I, you know, you watch the kind of the the big turning point kind of decision across the sport for me was when they made the big big ban against Rafi Torres in the NHL a couple of seasons ago, and you watch that video, and the video showed the initial hit a couple of times, explained the rule, and then they they showed about four or five video incidents of like previous occurred incidents to say he's done this this time this time this time this time, and that's why we're giving the ban, and it was the perfect video to explain why they're given the ban that they were given. And I think we're now moving towards that point of having a, a good descriptive a good descriptive video. There's not really been any repeat offender ones going on this season, but I know um, a couple of times last season, I think Sebastian Silvestre for um, for Belfast was one where he was a repeat offender for abusive official and they showed a couple of other incidents on the video where that happened. So I think we're getting to a good descriptive point now where we are showing 
a good explanation as to why bans have been given. Um, it leads to a lot more transparency and a lot more understanding. And obviously the back end to that and the benefit to DOPS to that is it means they're not getting under fire from fans as well by saying, oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, DOPS are at it again. You know, we're seeing that a lot less recently. No, it's, it's, it's what you want to... I mean, what I will say, though, is I don't think any of us want to see any 42 game <laughs> suspensions uh, thrown out. Uh, we've not had a, a a big suspension for some time. I think the last one may have been um, Derek Campbell. Derek Campbell. He, attempted, yeah, he, he, attempted eye gouging. He got about 20, 30-odd games or something stupid like that. Um, then ended up leaving Hull, um, as it were. So, yeah. No, I think, I think we're all in agreement in terms of, you know, the quality of what... Is being told and explained to the fans is is on the up and long may that continue. Yeah, I mean, uh, on a similar point with regards to these DOPS reviews and, and the incidents, um, the games in Belfast both saw probably the closest we're going to get in modern hockey to a, to a line brawl. Um, I mean, the incident with Moffat um, was was you know in the middle of an incident between another about three players having a bit of a uh, a bit of a scrap. Um, it's got to be said. I mean, we. I remember that we we were looking and thinking, oh, this is going to be a great game to uh, to be at. And both games, there was something that kicked off and had a bit of a line brawl, a bit of a bit of a. Even if it's a bit of handbags, it's always good to see a nice little shift back to old school hockey. Um, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but a little bit of a flashback over those two games. Yeah, it's always nice just to have that little memory come back every now and then. You know, just two four men brawl, line brawl. You know, it's just nice. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, three of us, um, Joe and Andy, will obviously remember years gone by of, of the, you know, the battles between Nottingham and, and the fights and everything, you know, the, the the nastiness and the old school hockey that made us love the game. And obviously, um, Griff with, with Manchester, with Sheffield, uh, and 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 maybe other teams, and just have that, you know, sort of niggle where it made you go back again and again. And uh, I think, uh, you know, we've all we've said many times this podcast, the game's moving on. It's, just nice to, every so often, you know, so long as it's not over the top, just a nice reminder of why we all fell in love with the game. The skill, the intensity, and just the yard, you know, dropping of the gloves. Definitely. <laughs> it's definitely in the, um, the last like, line brawl or bench brawl that I've, I've seen. Uh, it's definitely in the early 2000s. I mean, uh, who can forget Nottingham, uh, Sheffield? In 2001, uh, when the NSC first opened, that was a that was a fantastic, fantastic game. Um, and then a few years later, uh, sales against uh, the Storm, uh, a few great fighters in there. Uh, you had Vial, Alice, and uh, some really good players. But we've not seen so much as as those bench brawls or anything. Uh, I've not seen the Coventry, uh, not seen game. I wasn't there, unfortunately. But I do wish I was because we are missing that sort of. That sort of entertainment, I think, and uh, it's, it's been a while since that's happened. That Nottingham bench clearance, the Sheffield, that was my first ever away game. And as a young kid, you know, 14, 15, going to this away game and thinking, what's going off here? And I just I'm, I'm ringing back home because the game's on <laughs> Sheffield, and I'm just like, to my parents, what's happening here? Anything? The doctor told us anything. Just absolute excitement of what just happened. Um, yeah, but then also the games that people still talk about. You know, obviously the New Year's Eve game against the Storm, the Coventry uh, Nottingham game. Um, I'm sure Cardiff Coventry have had a few where where they all met at the benches in Coventry. They still talked about to this day, 
And as much as we'll talk about the Debian's goal, um, the Hoffman goal from Cardiff fans that won the league last year, and you'll always mention the odd goal here and there, you talk about the games that it all kicks off a lot longer. And it's, it's, it's proof. We've just said there now. So, yeah, there you go. The proof's in the pudding when, when the Steelers signed um, Jordan Owens. Uh, Jordan Owens, who's been a guy who's who started his career playing in, well, well, when he played in the AHL as a bit of a fighter and then moved on from that to playing like the East Coast Leagues and things like that and, and, and turned into a, a, a good point scorer. And you YouTube his name and the only thing that comes up are the fights. You don't see, oh, Jordan Owens scores a good goal, Jordan Owens scores penalty shot. It's all Jordan Owens versus somebody else, and it's just fight after fight after fight. And I guarantee you, a lot of players that you search, you'd find that. You search a player's name nine times out of ten, you ain't getting a hell of a lot of goals. You're getting the fights a lot of the time. Obviously, unless it's a player that doesn't fight at all. But generally speaking, you're getting the fights on the YouTube channels. Um, the thing that summed it up for me was on was on Ice Guardians. Um, <laughs> When they actually said, um, you know, they, they they summed it up. They said, you know, when you're sitting in a crowd, a guy scores a goal, his fans stand up, they celebrate the goal. Two guys drop the gloves and go toe to toe. Everybody stands up. Tells you all you need to know. It is just to kind of sum some what the hell is. I've just jumped on the, my iPad to look for the uh, the main YouTube clip of the bench clearance. Um, over two hundred thousand views. <laughs> no, okay. It's one or two years ago. However, over two hundred thousand views. That's that. Just again, more proof in the pudding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on from that, anyway, because we could, we could, um, you know, reminisce over the the glory days or whatever, whatever you want to call them, over and over again. Um, but moving on to that, more towards looking towards the future. We've got a few games in the CHL coming up um, of interest. We discussed them last game. We don't get Dave's Continental International pronunciations this time round um, because the only teams left in are, of course, for under Red Bull Munich, Red Bull Salzburg, and Pilsen. Um, Pilsen are actually, actually, I believe, Dave, the favourites to win that. If I'm not wrong, if I'm not wrong, in, ter in terms of the form so far, in the CHL Pilsen are the favourites. Um, but you ask anybody, and you look at the you know look at the four teams. Who would you go as favourites? And yeah, form book says that. But at the semi-finals of any cup competition, you you throw that favourites tag out the window because you you know you have one game or two games away from a final. Um, this one being to be crowned the best in Europe, so forms out the window. Um, and yeah, so um, like I said, Munich Salzburg and Frölunda Pilsen. Um, yeah, good luck. Do not use these for any accumulators because I can tell you now, looking at our form in previous weeks in terms of our predictions, we're probably not going right. Yeah, I was going to say that that's going to be my next question is to who everybody predict not to not to win the next rounds. Um, we'll go who everybody predict to uh, to be the ones lifting the CHL trophy at the end of you know the end of the tournament. Um, I agree with you, Dave, on that one. Definitely don't put any uh, any bets on, as I say, based on our our predictions. We'll go over the numbers from uh, from the last episode in a moment. But for the time being, gents, can you uh, let me know who you believe will win the CHL? We'll start with you, Griff. Who would you put your money on? I'd put my money on for under. Fair play. That's oh no, I'm writing that down next to Andy's name. That was Griff. 
you know when you write a list down of people and then you start asking in a different order to the order that you've just written the list down? Um, who's next? Andy, who, who, who are we putting in the middle? I might take a punt on this and go for Munich. Go in Munich. David. That's a great shout, Andy. Uh, Munich. Um, twice previous DL winners. Um, looking for a three-peat. But my head and my heart goes... Up to to Gothenburg, and I say Fulham's going to win it for the third time. Fair play. Well, we've got a 50-50 split here then on two teams because, and I've said this to you from the start, Dave. You know that I've been rooting for Munich all the way through the CHL, um, and I reckon Munich are going to be lifting the trophy at the end of it. So I'm going to say Munich. Yeah, like I just said, Munich have played well. They've they've kind of built this reputation, and a few people in Europe are going, "Well, how are they doing so well?" And you know. It's like, well, hang on, if you look at their domestic form, they've won the DEL um, twice uh, back-to-back and they're looking for a three-peat like Cardiff are. Um, but they just played some superb hockey and the, to get to the semi-final, they've had to really pull off some good results away from home um, against some really big clubs. So I, would I be surprised if it's a Munich-Fulunda final? No. Would I be surprised if it's a Fulunda-Salzburg final? No. Would I be surprised if it's a Salzburg-Pilsen final? No. Any four teams, as obviously any four teams, but you can't go, it's them and them. Any, any of them are capable of making the final. I don't think it'll be Munich-Salzburg in the final, though. <laughs> yeah, but we'll go with it. That's why I didn't mention that, Joe, funnily enough. <laughs> I just thought... Just for, clarification, I, it won't be a pill, for clarification, it won't be a Pilsen full in the final either. Oh, it's a shame. <laughs> I just thought I'd be the awkward one in that one. Um, moving on from that, then obviously, uh, you know, we've got our predictions. We'll see how they pan out. Um, it seems strange. We started off talking about the CHL, uh, you know, in the first few episodes, and it seemed to take a good five, ten minutes to go through all the teams. And now it's like up oh, thirty seconds, and everybody's been mentioned. It seems a bit, it seems a bit odd being at this stage. Um, we'll move on to questions, um, and I, I know that we've had a couple of questions asked on social media. Um, I've got a couple of things that I've picked out from the last couple of games that that I've seen, or from the last, you know, few days of browsing over social media in terms of reactions. Um, as we always say, a bit of a dangerous thing to browse on social media um, regarding game reactions. But led to a few good questions, I thought. So I'll let, I'll bring those up to you guys now and see what you think. The first was regarding obviously there was a, there was a, a goal waved off. Um, in the Sheffield-Nottingham game. I'm not necessarily going to ask you whether that was the right call. Um, I believe that may be one of the questions uh, that was asked on social media, so I'll leave that side of things. The question that I'm asking is, should the referee be mic'd up um, for no goals and penalties, particularly no goals? Obviously, you're watching the NHL, the referee's got a microphone on, and when there's a decision made, obviously it's announced over the Tannoy the decision on the ice stands it's a good goal or no it's not a goal because of there's a man in the crease or whatever you get that explanation um, should the referee be mic'd up in the elite league for tra- for that sake of transparency to give that explanation to everybody as to what's going on I'd love to see that I, I think it adds to the game it adds to the the fan experience not just in terms of the transparency but it also adds to the tension you know, when you're waiting, you need to you know. There's uh, Wes McCauley, who's just in his thousandth game. And if you've got five, ten minutes, YouTube him. He is a crazy, crazy ref. 
but transparent and he calls it down the line and he, he's great to to listen and I can imagine as an in, in terms of an interaction um be great from a player's perspective i'd love to see it more um there was one good incident um now obviously the tv viewers will have seen um but the interaction between owens and darnell towards the end of the game on thursday where owens was trying to claim oh that should be an automatic goal but the interaction between the two of them and listening to it on there was you know it was good it gives more insight to the game it, it allows people to learn about the game a bit more as well to see why the referees are doing it and try and learn and enhance their own knowledge of the game. I know people just may go to the game just to watch it, but a bit of knowledge doesn't harm anybody. So I'd, I'd love to see more. I'd love to see it as well. That would be great, especially for those moments. I mean, as anyone could see, you can see it from both sides why it should have been a goal or it shouldn't have been a goal. You can see it from both sides and it would help so much more for fans, I mean, you may have the ad fans that will do it, but they've given a good, good enough reason. So, you give it a good enough reason, who cares? <laughs> How good would it be for the likes of Tom Darnell to do a Wesley McCauley and just take his time to save the goal in the ice stands? <laughs> We've got a goal. Be all dramatic about it. How good? I'd pay good money to see that. I really would. Got to do the actions as well, though. But he does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Not just a gentle... Pointing to the centre circle, you've got a hole. The whole, the whole, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't believe it, it's like you know the, the most important thing right now to really think about, but it'd be fantastic if that could happen because I could just imagine the atmosphere when the uh, referee's going centre ice. He's about to say something. The whole arena just falls silent. Then four seconds later, you've got your answer, and it's either a massive cheer. Or massive booze. I just think it adds a lot to the atmosphere, and it'd be fantastic to to be a part of. I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. I I'd, I'd like to see it from a fan <laughs> from a fan's perspective. From a general perspective for the game, I don't know if at the elite league level it would add anything in terms of. Well, it would add things to the fan to the fan experience. And I agree with that. Obviously, it adds to the tension. As you say, particularly if uh, if it's held off, if they take the time, if they uh, if they give the gestures and the actions and uh, go with the full energy that you see in the NHL. From the flip side, and I, I guess it kind of links to the similar thing that we've seen with Dops. Um, and at the start of the season with Dops, obviously we said they're not announcing when they're reviewing things and not making a decision. Uh, also making the decision not to give a ban. Um, and at the start of the season, I was kind of saying, oh, I think that's really bad. I think we need to see the transparency and know when they're reviewing. And then after a bit, it kind of struck that the negativity kind of went down and the focus went down from, um, you know, the, the bad hits and, and the bad calls from Docs and went more to the quality of the hockey. The thing that I'd be concerned about is if we started to, to publicise it that much in terms of, you know, the referee going out there, particularly, you know, in the Sheffield game. Do you know, if he'd, if he'd have gone out there, 9,300 people in the arena turned down and said, that's a good goal. Had it been more controversial, let's say it had been the other way around. So let's say it was Sheffield that scored that goal and he waved it off in front of God knows how many thousand home fans all booing at the referee, all you know, giving the referee grief, all taking to Twitter and social media, all complaining about it. 
I don't think the announcing that at the point would have would have added anything to it. If anything, I think it would have made given more hostility towards the referee at that point, which doesn't aid the game. Because the whole point is, you know, the ref the referee is there to make the calls, to make the decisions based on what they've seen, and having an arena full of eight and a half thousand people shouting at you. Yes, it's water off a duck's back. Yes, they've got to be thick-skinned because it's the job that they're doing. But going on a tannoy and saying this is the reason why, because half the people would have left that arena going, oh, I'm not sure why it wasn't waved off, because there could have been about three things it could have been waved off for. Because it could have been waved off for man in the crease, it could have been waved off for goal interference, it could have been waved off for a kick. If you watch the referee, he actually signalled to say man in the crease. But, you know, it, I guarantee you 90% of the people in the arena didn't notice that and were kind of <laughs> potentially at that point saying, oh, I'm not sure why it's been waved off. And I think that kind of takes the focus off it a little bit more than if he'd have turned around then and said, it's waved off because there's a man in the crease and that's it, jobs are good. And... I didn't see where you're coming from. Um, I disagree slightly in the aspects of it may hasten the uh, slight hostility because at the end of the day, if a crowd of fans want to be hostile and, and their displeasure of it is, then they're going to do it regardless. Um, I think it's kind of, it, it makes it clear. You know, that's why it's rolled off. End off. We've decided it. Game moves on. There you go. And whether you agree with it or not, whether you're a player, a coach, a fan, so long as it, once the referee says what it is, like in any sports, that's it. End off. You move on. I've, I'm more of the, it gives a bit more transparency in it than the fans know. So the fans then can't go on Twitter, oh, such and such is such and such and whatnot. And there's some of the, the, the rubbish that you do see on, on social media for reasons why this has been called and that hasn't been called. You know, I mean, we're all just talking about the ones that get reviewed. You know, a penalty's called, it's two minutes off and, and done. So, for me, I don't think that... If a crowd's going to be hostile in that respect to what you're talking about, Joe, they're going to be regardless. I don't think that's going to make it worse, if that makes sense. I disagree with you. I think I think if the, if the fans are told specifically... This, if, it, if it's like a case where it's obvious as to what it's being raved off for or what it's being reviewed for, then I, think it, I don't think it would make the difference. If it was a case where it was ambiguous and it could have been one or two things... I think in certain, and I'm not, I'm not talking every incident. As I say, certain things are more clear cut. But in certain incidents, because I looked at that and thought, you know, if they'd have said a kicking motion from where we were sat, it wasn't all that clear. And it, you know, you could see it came off his leg, but you couldn't see whether there was a kicking motion. So at that point, I'm thinking, is he waving it off? Do you know, is it being reviewed for a kicking motion? Is it being reviewed because there's a man in the crease? Is it? Do you know, if it's that point and you're thinking, oh, well, it could have been that, and then they wave it off and say there's a man in the crease. If you're sitting there going, well, from where I was sat, there was definitely not a man in the crease. You're then going to shout about how it definitely wasn't a man in the crease when you might not have done if you're still thinking it's a kick. Don't they also, I know it's going down to the, in terms of the NHL and how they do it, do they then not show replays of it afterwards on the Jumbotrons uh, and whatnot? And I appreciate not every venue in the Elite League has that facility. They do. do they not show the replays? They do, but the replays aren't always a massive help. Because <laughs> I didn't, because I, I didn't find no. the replay a massive help. In, the problem, the, the, that's the other problem, is that we don't have the footage that they yeah. see. And in, in fairness, to that from a transparency, from a transparency perspective, in, in a similar, I, I agree with you. In a, from a perspective, of I think it had stopped the backlash on social media after the game. I'm thinking, li- literally, the only reason that I'm saying it is from the backlash at the game at that moment in time. But I think for the transparency perspective at the end, I think the footage that they're seeing, because obviously they've got the overhead camera from the goal line technology. Yes. And I think that footage, it'd help. I don't know I don't know the logistics of how easy it would be to make that footage available, because I know it's a slightly, maybe slightly different camera. Uh, you know, I, I, I have no idea, to be fair. But in fairness, if they could, 
it would aid with transparency to be able to see that view. Because from the view that uh, that we've seen on the replays or the view that was on the Jumbotron or the highlights afterwards, it's not always that helpful. But, yeah, it, it's a 50-50, isn't it? At the end of the day, as you say, if, if certain fans are going to be hostile, they're going to be hostile. I agree with you on that side of things. It's just something that I kind of think it may be a bit of an unnecessary addition um, to certain certain circumstances other circumstances I say I don't think it'll make any difference but um, yeah oh, just something I thought that, that, that arose from it another one that I kind of another one that I saw and it was on social media um, was a few people highlighting the game I think I believe it was the game on the 27th so the game on um, I forget what day it was now the game on Thursday um, yeah I'm jumbled up now so I've been working the last two days and then off and then it's confusing me. Um, yeah, the game Thursday night between Sheffield and Nottingham, a few people have said, oh, that was a game of errors. So it wasn't a game of either team playing well, it was a game on one team picking up on another team's errors. Um, not necessarily asking you whether you think that's the case, because obviously we're not specifically talking about Sheffield or Nottingham in the podcast. It's a more generalised question of, does a game of errors make for a more interesting game? Does it make it more interesting when both teams are making a couple of errors they picked up on and we're suddenly seeing a 2-1 game go to a 5-4 game, as an example? I think when, when games are, are more open, as for me, Thursday nights were a lot, a lot more open compared to night before, you are by nature going to get the mistakes because you're pushing more because there's a lot more back and, f- back and throw, you know, end-to-end stuff, and the mistakes are going to happen. Um from the stuff I saw this week, obviously, and I appreciate he's back to the Sheffield Nottingham series. Wednesday was very cat and mouse and waiting for the mistake. So it kind of, and I, it was, I enjoyed the whole the game itself, but it didn't have a, a spectacle. Whereas for me, Thursday, because both teams had opened up and played the more, a bit more expansive and the errors came from it, it made for a better game because, you know, both teams are pushing up. And we've seen a few, t- you know, the, the Dundee-Belfast game that was on TV, now, Belfast tried opening up, created a few mistakes, and Dundee then went and, and took advantage and back and forth. Dundee made mistakes, Belfast went back, and, and it made for a better game. So I think for me it's more if the teams open up and play more expansive instead of being a bit, instead of a tactical game and waiting for that moment and just going from it from the off, I think that makes for a better game. I think it does as well. I mean, if... Going back to the Sheffield Night Games, I watched that on Free Sport. It was for two periods. It was a really good end-to-end game where, yeah, the the goals came from errors on both sides. It's what happens in the game. You expect it from teams that are actually throwing everything at the throwing everything like the kitchen sink at the game while they're trying to score. Because obviously, you don't want to be the team that loses. Really, it's not looking good for come Christmas time where you're either going to be in the race for the title or you're finished towards the bottom of the league and you're trying to fight to get a playoff spot like we are. <laughs> it's 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 a good it's happens and I, I really prefer it does happen because it gives you a more a more entertaining game. Yeah, it does it is. I think hockey for me is a game of errors. No, it, it, you can convert it to sports like football. Like in football, if, if an error occurs in the middle of the field, 
it doesn't add, it's not as quite adding the end product because if you turn over a puck in the neutral zone in, in ice hockey, then you're going towards a goal. It takes so, so much less time. So within like five, five seconds, something amazing could happen. Like, like you, you get one of our situation and you get a goal and, and that could decide the game. Or the goal could pull off a fantastic save and you get a massive cheer from everyone else. But it, it is a game of errors and I think anything that can happen in basically that can decide the game. But it's not, for me, just before, sorry, Joe, it's not necessarily the case that games that are tactical and waiting for them aren't necessarily bad games. I think they've just got to be, there's got to be an element of, of skill and, and high octane for them games to be entertaining. You know, we've seen them before where you can see that both coaches are waiting, you know, playing a bit of a chess game, but the skill sets are good, but they're still great games of hockey, but they're not open. So I think there's a number of factors in terms of less mistake for it to be good. But, you know, like Angus said, you know, you know, more than any other sport, you know, mistakes will make it more entertaining, more exciting. Yeah, it's true. You make the correlation, really, don't you? I mean, I guess you, you, you take the a game a game with a game with more goals equates to a game that you find more entertaining. At the end of the day, I mean, I looked at the uh, you look at the results just gone from Boxing Day. I mean, Flames beat Milton Keynes one nil, and the only thing I could think when I saw that scoreline was that sounds like a boring game. Not seen it, no idea. Not seen the highlights. Not heard anybody's comments on it. But just what you assume when you see oh one nil. You think, ah, oh, that's you know not a great deal's happening. That you look at a game that's gone five four. You look at a game that's gone five three six two. Those kind of games, you look at it and go, you know, that that sounds like an alright game. That you know, there's been a few game, a few goals on either side, keep everybody on the toes. Um, and I, I guess, I guess the particularly the uh, the Thursday game between Sheffield and Nottingham was a, was a perfect example of that because it really was. It was it was end to end. Um, it was a game of cat and mouse, and, and obviously, as you say, those errors really are capitalised on in hockey because, of, as you say, because of the time it takes to get from one end to the other. In comparison to you know to games, games on foot, I guess as a whole, um, you know, the, you know, rather than being on skates, um, you know, the, the difference in time it takes to take the take the puck up the the, the ice as it does to take the ball up up, up the field is, it is what it is, but. Um, yeah, no, it was just something that, I thought that, that interested me because somebody said, "Oh, a game of errors come, you know, comes out of it makes it more interesting to watch." But it was more to, more a case of teams making errors more than one team outplaying the other. Uh, but I, I think you made, I think that made the the wrong kind of jump from the fact that just because one team's made errors doesn't mean they've been that doesn't mean that they've not been outplayed. Um, but I mean, Dave, I mean, me and you said in the, in the Boxing Day game when we were watching. Me and you both said it looks like the Steelers were waiting for the Panthers to make an error and the Panthers didn't look like the team that were making the errors in the first two periods. And it took us until the third period to score a goal. Yeah, I mean, just to go back slightly to a point, I mean, some of the best games I remember have actually been 1-0 games. Um, one that stands out for, for the last the last Super League year um, between Sheffield and Belfast, 1-0. Um, but it, again, it reverts back to the point I make about the skill set. The skill sets of both sides, in particular netminders, were just that high. You just wanted to carry on and carry on, even though it was just a 1-0 game. Um, and some, some of the comments I did read on, on some of the forums about the Milton Keynes Guildford game was actually the same thing. Great game, end-to-end, you know, good skill set. Um, but yeah, it, if you've got teams <laughs> waiting for mistakes to pounce on, I mean, okay, Sheffield's looking to play a, very much a, a road game in that respect. Um, and, and, and this guy sounds coaches. Although they are wanting to put on an entertaining team, 
it's a results-based industry. So they need to do what's best for that team to get a result that night. Now, that can lead to some horrible hockey in terms of viewing from a punter's perspective. Um, and, you know, like I said, I enjoyed the game itself, but some of the waiting for the mistakes, wait, you know, just waiting and being a very patient play, but just not be, you know, not going to be attacking. It was, you know, that kind of, you know, come on, guys, you, you, if you don't do anything, it's just going to be a waste of time. And, you know, Nottingham should, theoretically, have pounced on and, and took advantage. Now, they didn't, however. But you've seen it many times where it has happened, where the team, the team have gone, oh, okay, then they're not going to push for us, let's just go for it. And the away team, trying to play that game, falls over and loses the game out of the water. So, it, if teams do try and play the waiting game, for it to be good and entertaining and be spectacles for, for the fans, it has to have a high skill set for both sides for it to work. Yeah, and that's certainly when they become the most the most interesting games. I will, I will, I will clarify, as I said, I don't dispute that um, you know one-goal games can, can be interesting. It's just For me, it's the assumption that you make yeah, when you see it. I mean, it it's, yeah. it's easy to watch the game after, afterwards. You know, I, I agree with you. The, the low-scoring games can be some of the best games sometimes. The hockey that you see, um, I mean, like mid-season NHL games, a lot of the time you see those low-scoring low games and, and they, they really keep you on the edge of your seat. But if you wake up the following day having not watched the game and see that, you might not be jumping to watch the highlights as quickly as you would be if it was a, a six or seven goal thriller. But um, yeah, no, I always just say it was just a point that I saw and I, I, thought, I thought it was uh, worth discussing. Um, the last one that I'll throw out there before we move to... Um, the questions that we've had on social media um, is, again, kind of spans from a lot of criticism, obviously yours you always see on social media, uh, a lot of criticism of the officiating and the referees. Not going to ask you what you thought of the officiating, again, not going to ask you what you thought of the waved-off goal. My question is, to what extent does a referee have an effect on the outcome of the game? To what extent can you come out of a game and say... That was not necessarily that was the referee's fault, but the referee can be blamed for part of that result. For me, I've never seen on a game sheet a goal or an assist scored by a referee. So as a kind of a no, they can't. Now you will get referees, and it's certainly more in continental tournaments and international tournaments where the referees will call it a different style to where you're used to domestically. Um, Joe, we, Andy, we had this in Copenhagen, uh, Gref, you know, in the World Championships uh, last April. The refereeing is a lot different because it's a lot more more towards zero tolerance. So for me, it's easy for fans to go, oh, that's the ref's fault. Well, if that team has any nouse about them, you play to the referee. So if the referee's going to call everything, they don't do it. Because if you don't do it, they're not going to call you. But as a principle, if they have, if, if he's going to call every slash, every you know hook, don't do it. You know, be a bit more smart, a bit more streetwise. If the referee, same thing. If the referees aren't going to call it, then you've got a bit more ground to play with. But for me, it, it, it for me it boils down to adapting to that referee. And different referees have different styles, different communication you know, ways, and, and, and so on and so forth. You adapt to that referee. And it's the team that can adapt to that referee and how they, his interpretation of the game is the team that, more, more often than not, is more successful. Yeah, I, I agree with that statement as well. You don't see the ref's name on their goals or assists column. 
Maybe plus minus as well. So it's, you've never ref- you've never written one down on a Manchester Song game sheet, have you, uh, Gref? No, I've not. <laughs> I mean, from similar, like you mentioned, the refereeing we saw in Budapest was a lot different to what we saw in the Elite League. I mean, that's like the first time in, I'd say, about 10 years or so that I've actually swore at a referee decision. I mean, you wouldn't see that over here. I wouldn't have actually done that. It was just I wasn't used to that style of officiating and the heat of the moment stuff as well. But with some of the officiating, some of the fans don't like it, obviously. And then you get some of the players that don't like it, and then they think, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take the law in my hands. And then that's when they're like, right, well, you're gone. Game is conduct, gone. It's like, you, you don't play to the ref. Unless, obviously, you play to the whistle, you don't play to what the referee's antics are. Or you put any players that are throwing hits on you, you, you beat them by the score. That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, every referee is different. Uh, they're either going to call something that maybe other referees would call quicker. Maybe they'd um, wait for retaliation. They call it retaliation compared to the first incident. Uh, but it also depends if they see it. Because if if they can't, if they don't see something, <coughs> then how can they call it? Uh, after all, there's only two of them on the ice. Uh, the linesman can't make the calls. It's strictly with the referees. Um, so, yeah, that's all I can say on that. No, you're bang on. I, I completely agree, as I say. It was just something that I thought had sparked up over um, the last couple of days on social media, and I thought it was worth something that um, for us to discuss. I suspected that we may all be of the same opinion. I, I have to admit, I'm, I, I was worried on one aspect that it may have opened a can of worms and may have opened a bit more of a rant. So I'm kind of happy with the outcome that it hasn't. But <laughs> no, I completely agree. At the end of the day, um, you know, the referee calls what they can see, as you say, Andy. And the, the thing is that people have got to appreciate is without the referee, we ain't playing. We ain't sitting in that. We, we ain't sitting in the arena with nine thousand three hundred people there watching a Boxing Day game between the Steelers and the Panthers. Or we ain't there sitting and watching a random game midweek against, uh, you know, a top 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 against bottom game. It don't matter what game it is. Without those referees on the ice, that game isn't going ahead, and that's the bottom line. So you can slag them off as much as you want. Without them, there wouldn't be a sport. I'm going to be a little bit controversial. I must say, I think sometimes when people do go on a rant, I think it's also based on, on maybe a lack of understanding of the rules. And every team has it. Every team fan base. You see people, you go to different rinks and, and their player's been hurt or their player's been chipped up and it has to be a call. And Andy makes a superb point in the all. If a referee can't see it, then he's not going to call it. Because they'll, they'll be the same fans who've gone, well, he's not seen it and he's called it. And they'll criticise him for doing it. So, I think Andy's point about the, the seeing of the incident. And that's, I think that's sometimes where they recall and you hear, oh, oh he's all called the, the retaliation. But he may have not seen the first one. So to the referee's eyes, he's seen the first incident, which is the slash, which is the retaliation. Mm. He's not called the retaliation for, to his eyes. He's, he's called the first he's incident. He's called the first incident, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, uh, it's for, for me, I mean, and it's, it's, it don't, it's not a case of you play, you understand more. It's just a case of trying to learn the sport to, to enhance your enjoyment. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, Different tournaments have different styles of, or the expectation of styles of officiating. Um, 
as I said, Continental Cup, CHL, World Championships, it's a lot more, you know, fine-tuned, it's a, a different level, because they've got to be you know, <laughs> a bit more strict. The stand, style of play is that high, you've got to have the same thing. And it's not saying the referees in the Elite League, for example, aren't that good. Because I have to be honest, I think a lot of the efficient I've seen this year has been good. Yeah, they're going to mistakes, but they're only human. Um, and I, I think, that, you know, and you also look at the IHF appointments. You know, we can all slag them off, but GB officials get a number of gigs, either as a referee or as an official, or as before as a um, referee observer. Uh, I think Joy, uh, what's the name, Joy Totten, was um, for the Women's Olympics in Pyeongchang, I believe, <coughs> the, the main referee um, to oversee and evaluate the referees. So if the, if the, the governing body of the sport in, overall in the, in, the, in the world is giving our officials these, these gigs, you know, the World Championships and Continental Cups, it says something. Yeah, exactly. And I think people need to also realise that at the end of the day, a referee may miss something when one of the opposition slashes one of your guys in the hand, but then if they probably missed two of your guys do the same thing to one of theirs. I mean, how many times did we say, in the, in the particularly in the Boxing Day game, Dave, how many times did we go, that should have been a penalty against us, that should have been a penalty against us, that should have... Like the, the incident where Matheson took the high hit on the 27th game and he was going off to the bench and obviously there was some dis, dis, dispute between our fans as to whether or not it was a dirty hit. Regardless of that, we should have had a penalty for too many men because our guy came out and touched the puck straight off the bench when Matheson was still a good 20 feet away from the gate. And it, it, it's things like, if you look at it from both sides, if you just take a step back and go, well, actually, yeah, he's missed that, but he's also missed that over there as well. So realistically, he's evened out. It, it doesn't have a huge effect on the game. It's about how you respond to it. And it's the same thing with a waved-off goal. I guess a waved-off goal is you know, one of the things that people often would make the main argument for. He shouldn't have waved that off or he should have waved that off. For a start, they've got different angle videos to everything that we've seen. They know the rules inside out, unlike us. So, And I, and I always say this when people complain and say, oh, it's taken to a video review again. Well, what have you got to lose? <laughs> if you've scored a good goal and it's taken to video review... It'll stand as a good goal. If you've not, if you've scored a goal that shouldn't have been counted as a goal, and it goes to video review, then it'll be waved off. That's that's the way it works. If you've scored a good goal, you've got nothing to lose. And I mean, in fairness, sorry, go on, Joe. No, I was just going to finish. I'm just say at the end of the day, you know, if a referee waves a goal off or a referee gives a good a good goal, they're not determining how you're going to finish off playing the game. You know, they're, yeah. all they're determining is that that goal doesn't stand. I one thing I will throw in here, just you know, all four of us have been at games, and we've all at different points called some in our minds a penalty, um, and we've done it when then someone else within the sport has gone, oh, no, it's not. And our view, again, last point is our view, wherever you are in the, in the stands, is a lot different to the main view that's important. That's what the referee sees, and as frustrating as it will be, because you'll see something clear as day where you're sat, and you'll be like, how oh, on earth is this a penalty? And in fairness, we've all been screaming, yeah, oh, it's got to be a penalty. And if the referee just hadn't got that view for it, it's just tough. As harsh as that sounds, it's just tough. Mm, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Sorry. Put a, like a, Sorry. a fun perspective on this. If a referee's watching the play, and there's an incident just, just behind it, like one guy slashes someone, and everyone's like booing, I hardly missed that. Well, it was against the play, and it takes about a second, one second to slash or trip someone. 
and if the referee didn't see it and he turns back, and, he, uh, and he's thinking, well, was that a trip or did he fall? Did he just slip? You know, it's either one or two things. How is he supposed to call something when he's not seen it when it could be one of two or even three things sometimes? <coughs> no, it's a good point that you made, Randy. You know, another thing, just to kind of, I know, before I move on to the next bit, is sometimes you'll see incidents that's bang near referee and they've not called it, but the back referee on a two man system's called it. And again, it's like it's just it's about the view. That one in the front was maybe looking and trying to consider three or four different things at the same time. Whereas actually, the guy at the back can actually just look at all. And go, right, that's it. I'm looking at that. I'll just follow the player. That was called done. Pe- so people also think that having a wall of three thousand people shouting at the referee telling him he sucks is 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 good because then he knows what he's doing. What what they don't realise is half the time he's probably going to miss something else because he's second guessing a call from thirty seconds ago that he's been told he's missed. Like that, that you just, and you know, he's got to make a split second decision. It's the same kind of argument that you'd make about an enforcer making a hit that ends up being to the head. You've got a second to make a decision. Sometimes you make the wrong decision. And, you know, people like Tom Wilson in the NHL have been, um, you know, been shunned for making a bad hit when realistically he's travelling at a fair speed. The other guy's travelling at a fair speed and he's, he's made a split second decision and got it wrong. It's only the same with the referee. That guy's standing there. He's got a whistle in his hand. He's not got an iPad to replay. He's not, you know, he's not sat at the back of the, you know, he's not sat on the back row of the, of the top block watching the game. He's stood at eye level with three people in front of him, and he's been told he's just missed a slash. But you know, is, that, yeah. the one player that used to capitalise on that the best. And I'll, this will be the last thing I say before I move on. But it just made me think of it when he said that, Andy. Like people doing things off the back of the plane, like a little back, a little slash that takes a second on the back of the legs. One of the players that used to be the worst for that in the elite league was Jeff Legui. Jeff Legui used to literally, if a if a player did something oh, to him yes. or made a bad play, he would skate behind him, wait until the referee turned around, and then two-hand him across the back of the legs like you'd never seen. And the amount of times the away fans were going mad about it, and you just look at it and think, well, how's he going to call it? Because he's waiting until he's facing the other way. <laughs> like, it was just nothing he could do. Now, I don't think Jeff would have got away with as many as uh, with a two-man system as he did then. Yeah, yeah, possibly pick the right time to hang up the skates just as the two-man system was coming into the Elite League. Um, yeah, moving on from that. Anyway, Dave, I'll, I'll throw it over to you because we've got a couple of questions on social media. As I say, that's the last last one from me. Um, do you want to fill us in with the questions that we've got from uh, from Twitter and Facebook? Indeed. So, first one from Craig, as ever. Thank you very much for your input. Um, and it'll, unfortunately, it's still related, but we'll start with Griff on this one, um, just as for a neutral perspective. So his question is, of the 23 players on the Steelers roster at the moment, and this is including Brown and Griffin, how many would you re-sign for next season, assuming all was on one-year contracts at the moment? No names, just how many? If you was a general manager and you was working with a coach, how many would you, just as a number, how many would you keep? I'd probably say uh, eight or nine. Joe Under? It's difficult to say. I could probably give you a number for the amount of players that I'd get rid of. Um, that would probably be more precise. At the moment, I'd get rid of two, if it was right now. Um, looking towards the new season, I might move it to 10 or 11, dependent on how people perform towards the end of the season, but there's going to be a bigger shake, bigger shake up than just getting rid of a couple of people. I'll give it a nice round number. I think seven. 
Seven should stay next to you. Is that just because you're a big I... fan of Len Goodman? Which was seven. Seven, correct. And what's wrong with that? Um, I, I'd go eight, uh, if I'm honest, Craig. Um, I mean, you know, we tried doing the shape cup of the season and, uh, you know, that's not really gone that well, um, according to many. So, um, but that's, that's those numbers I'd go for, so thank you very much. Um, we've kind of touched on this question, but then he asks a bit wider. Um, James Hellwell, thank you very much for your, uh, your question. So, what do you think of the no goal on the 27th? Um, I'm kind of re- I'm reading between the lines of this one, James, so apologies if I get it wrong, but should it be a no goal or shouldn't it should have been a goal or not? Um, I know, Gref, obviously you watched it more and you saw at the time a lot more angles than we did. So do you want to kick us off with that? Yeah, I think it's spot on. It's the letter of the law. It's, it's like the softest of touches, but this skater actually made contact with your netminder and it's moved it. It's lost in the crease. So he's not really had the choice of actually thinking, right, I'm going to stop and save this now. They're quick. He's having to have the other helpless player in his, in his eye thinking, right, is he going to tip it? Is he going to tip it? Is he going to tip it? And then it happens. I think even because it's a soft little touches to his pad, well, it's a, it hit his skate, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the right call. I can see it from both perspectives, but I do think it's the right call. Yeah, for me, it, it could be one of two things. One of two things. One of them being the goal interference, the uh, contact with the pads, and the second being the possibility of it batting, batting the puck with the skate into the net. Uh, look at the replay. It, it was more goal interference, but from a wider sort of perspective, it could have been a back with the skate. But if we had two reasons, it, I think it was, was given for the goal interference, and there was some contact there. Uh, with there being some contact there, I, I would say that it, it was a good call, by ref. I disagree. I thought it was a good call. <laughs> I um, <laughs> Yes, yes, there was contact with the goalie. Did he deny him a chance to make the save? I think if you're telling me that the goalie moving his leg wouldn't have moved a player's leg when he's standing on one leg and he's in his skate that's in the air clips his pad, uh, is just nonsense. I, I think realistically, Climey could have made the save. I think the puck came off Climey's pad, hit. I think it was was it Wrestling that it hit hit Wrestling's leg, and then went over the pad, and as it went over the pad, Wrestling's leg. Wrestling skate clipped climbing skate or pad I, to be fair the puck was already going over his leg anyway I, for me he's very very much on the edge of the crease he's not really in the blue paint to be fair there's no kick in motion either because it's, it's come off his pad and in fairness by the looks he's just trying to stop but uh, well in, in fairness whether there was a kick in motion or not as I say that was the thing that I thought at the time but he, he waved it off and definitely signalled well he signalled the crease um, so it was either waved off for the goalie interference or the man in the crease. I'm not really going to go into whether it was a kicking motion or not, but for me, I don't really think that a skate brushing the pad or brushing the, uh, brushing the skate can count as goalie interference. He's crashed in the net, it's come off Climby's pad anyway, it's going over Climby's pad as he brushes him. He ain't, he ain't denied him of a chance to make the save there. I was surprised it was washed off, um, if I'm honest with you. Um, and I didn't see any contact at the time it was only after the replays now if i'm wrong on this next piece i apologize but i believe the change of rule in terms of goal to the is if there's any contact um 
in the paint area that the, and it leads to a goal that they are to wash it off. Now, if I've got it wrong, I apologise. But if that's the case, uh, they followed the rule to the letter, uh, which, you know, it's kind of, kind of, again, it goes back to every, it's what you wanted to, you wanted to do it as, as much as possible. We've seen them over the years going. The contact is minimal, um, but was it a major turning point of the game on, on Thursday? I would say no. Um, because I, I just feel the game was going back and forth the whole lot in that period of time. So I, as much as it were at the time crucial, I don't think it would have impacted that much at all. And to end that question, James asks of what we thought um, of the two games as a whole um, between the Steelers and the Panthers. I mean, I know I opened it up, and I think it's an important part of the beginning of the podcast where we have had 16,000 fans in our sport, watching hockey over two days, which I, you know, results aside, especially as um, the, the GB uh, achievements didn't make um, the, the sports personality of the year, to still have that kind of pull over the festive period, um, okay, benefit that we have the big arenas, and I know like Dundee and Fife are close to selling out as well, so percentage-wise, that's up there with us. Um, I just think it's been fantastic spectacles uh, more Thursday um, for me, but just to have that again, 16,000 fans of hockey watching that other sport oh, in the Christmas period it sells, it sells itself Yeah, the two games that we I mean obviously we were lucky enough to go to both games day for over Boxing Day for the, the both Steelers games um, the Boxing Day game Started off a little bit slower than you'd have hoped, particularly as a Steelers fan. Um, but I don't think anybody walked out of that building, particularly in an orange jersey. Don't think anybody walked out of that building saying the game was boring. Um, maybe not the best penalty shootout what you've ever seen. Some nice penalty shots that went in. I'll, I'll say that much. But and, and a couple of nice saves. Then you look at the flip side. You've got John Armstrong tries to do a one-handed backhand into the net. Uh, Josh Pitt fumbles on the puck and doesn't even get off a shot and Justin Buzio skates in and shoots it straight into the leg pad of Garnet. So a bit of a mixed bag in terms of the penalty shots that were taken. Flip side, um, Dowdy's goal, nice. Um, De Luca's goal, brilliant. Kovacs' goal, as uh, as Greff's already said, even better. Absolutely stellar goal, that. So the goals that were scored were great. I, I'd like to see a few better attempts. I don't know, I think... I don't think so. I'm taking nothing away from the goalies. It's a difficult position to be in going down one on one on a penalty shootout, and you've got to make a decision: do you go for the shot, do you go for the deke? And you've got to have it set in your mind as to what you're doing. And it's not always the most entertaining thing to watch when you see four shooters skate down and shoot it into the chest of the goalie. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. Um, both games for me, brilliant games, particularly by the end. Um, maybe a little bit slow to get into the sound boxing day, but the 27th. Very, very quick to get into. And I completely agree with you, Dave, that the attendances at both games made it even that bit more interesting to watch and that, that bit more exciting to watch because you knew <coughs> the stakes were there for both teams with such a high attendance. Yeah, there's two really good games for both teams. Um, it, it was nice this time not having it been a, a washout like it was last year with Steelers winning 5 0 in Nottingham on the 27th. But it, it, it was very. Um, close games um, I think it, it could have gone either way possibly but the atmosphere both was really good as well and it was great to have uh, three sports as well 
there on the 27th in Sheffield with fantastic atmosphere, uh, just just ability for people to watch at home for free. Uh, it's a great advert for the sport. Yeah, sixteen thousand for two hockey games. That's that's unreal. That's unbelievable, especially in after the achievements as well as you've previously mentioned, Grantley, that happened in April and then not getting recognised at all. And I can't really say much for the the first game, obviously because I was at the Stone game, but I saw. The penalty shootout because it got put onto YouTube due to an issue with Panthers TV, which unfortunate for the people that actually paid for the for the live stream. I mean, one of the few that Panthers actually put on during the season, but it was the the game on free sport was really good to watch. I mean, I, if it wasn't for that being on free sport, I probably would have watched it. I wouldn't have heard much about it apart from looking on social media. It's great to have it. It's great to have it for this league as well. But to move it slightly away from just the Sheffield United series, you look around the league in terms of you know the Hogmanay game in uh, Glasgow is a sellout. New Year's Day in Manchester is looking close to selling out. Like I said, the Dundee and Five series has had huge attendances. Milton Keynes had a good attendance. Uh, a girl from the night after. Um, so to get good attendances across the board. Um, yeah, the Christmas time you always get that, you know, you know, a couple of tickets in the stocking from from Santa Claus and all that. But it's just good to have a league and cross the board, so not just relying on on the arena teams. So last was I mentioned percentage wise of of ticket sales being in the high nineties, and you know it it shows that the product that we've got it is there to be sold. People want it, and you know. It's going to lead us to a very good next three months of the end of the season, rolling into the uh, end of the season playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a great showcase for the sport as a whole to see arenas selling out across the league. Um, you've got your historic ones, you've got your ones that everybody expects to be sellouts. As you say, the the main two, uh, I don't know, whether it's from a Sheffield perspective or whether it's just because of that rivalry, but the main two you expect to be the sellouts are the Boxing Day game between the Steelers and the Panthers and then obviously the, the return leg, whether that be in Sheffield or Nottingham, you always expect those two games to sell out at that point in the year. Um, but it's great to see it across the league and it's great to see an uptake as a whole. And I think I think you can see it in the, the, the away travelling support as well. I mean, when, when we had the first leg of the um, of the Challenge Cup against Guildford, it was midweek and there was a decent number of Guildford fans travelling up from Guildford on a whatever it was, Tuesday, Wednesday night, you know, probably going back to work the next day and travelling for a, a Challenge Cup game in the midweek. It, it shows in the away travel as well as the home, you know, the home attendances as well. I mean, I know teams need to just budget for their own attendance from the home fans, but, you know, a, a good point you mentioned, you know, having that good number of away fans adds to the spectacle, it adds to the drama of it all. Um, and so Guildford brought a very good attendance for a Wednesday night and uh, I think it's like a five, six hour one way uh, trip from Guildford, I believe. I may have got that completely wrong, but it's a lot, you know, a fair travel distance midweek. So, no, it's good. Um, you know, and hopefully we keep the you know, Cardiff um, normally have they had sold out against uh, Coventry. Let's let's have more of it. Let's have more nine thousand, six thousand, and even the three thousands at the other end. It means it's sold out. It's, it's they've got very few tickets left, which is only healthy for all eleven teams across the board. 
Yeah, maybe the maybe the area where Cardiff are wishing that they had a bigger arena. Um, <coughs> Cardiff are up in the big boys. Obviously, now they're sitting in either the top spot or second place. I'm not sure what where they are after the game today. I know Belfast obviously beat MK five one um, today, but I'm not sure whether that whether that leaves Cardiff at number one or number two. But either way, you know they're pushing for the top of the table. You've got to kind of think that in in terms of their success over the last couple of years. In terms of you know their efforts, in terms of the on ice produce and the off ice produce, you know you would have kind of you you'd probably think they may have been wishing that they got a bit of a bigger arena, um, because that may be one of the things that lets them down in terms of budget is they can't push for those higher attendances, but um, the attendances are only up for every team at the moment. It, it's it's certainly a fantastic thing for the league. No, it is, uh, and thank you very much uh, for the questions. Um, we do appreciate them, as you as you've heard. Um, leads to some decent debate, and that's what this podcast um, is for. Um, and Joe, there's many ways that people can come to us with their questions and their thoughts. There are, yeah, you're right, Dave. It is at MFZ Podcast on Twitter. It is my Fancy Zamboni Podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can get in touch with us either way if you want to tweet us. Um, beforehand we normally try and tweet or um, put on facebook on the day that we're recording just to say if you've got any questions but by all means get in touch with us before that or obviously comment on our on our um tweets or facebook post about it uh, we'd love to hear the questions it's nice to get a bit more content and um, it's nice to get content from across the league as well it's, it's obviously we appreciate that at times um the topic of conversation may be a bit more fixated on the steelers um, or, the, or the Storm, uh, obviously, you know, we, we've got three Steelers fans and a Storm fan, obviously, on, on the team. So it's it's it, we appreciate that at times it may be a bit more focused on them. It's nice to hear questions about other teams across the league as well. We do try and keep our eye open and uh, and, and keep an eye out across the league. Um, so, yeah, by all means, get in touch with us with your questions. Um, for the time being, that brings us to the end, other than the last item on the agenda, as always. Uh, we have the schedule coming up, so the next upcoming games. Uh, there's not a great deal of them, but, well, in fairness, there's not a great deal of them at the weekend coming up, but we do have them literally all across the week, next week, bar Friday. We've literally got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday games and Sunday games next week. So we have got a fair few to cover off, uh, but we'll go through those now. Um, just before I do... Last week we went through a whole, a total amount of 21 games um, and as we always do say, don't put any accumulators on expecting any produce from our um, predictions and I will tell you exactly why. Now the numbers for the week just gone um, in joint bottom place amongst the four of us were Andy and Greth who predicted 12 correct results from the 21. Um, not a bad result to be fair, could have been worse. Um I was I was second in that one. I had thirteen right predictions, got lucky on a couple of the ones where I went against everybody else. Um Dave actually smashed it out of the park this week. He had sixteen out of twenty-one right, so I only got five wrong there. And in fairness, two of those five were actually um full houses that we all predicted wrong. Um so yeah. You know, it's always difficult to make those predictions. You always get those unpredictable games, but they were the numbers from last week. I don't have the scores accumulatively over the last three weeks because I threw that piece of paper away. So apologies for that. Um, but going so you can in... listen back over the next few, last few weeks and uh, give us a for the next week's podcast. Yes, exactly. Um, 
I thought you might have been disappointed, mate. I've clawed it back and uh, got a bit of an extra, you know, getting three three from everybody else. I thought you might have been happy to uh, to see the fact that you might have clawed it back to a bit of an even keel. Um, if, if, I'd have, if I'd have something last week, I wouldn't even be bothered. But you know, we've had a good week, so come on. <laughs> yeah, you've had a good week. You've had a good week and earned three pints out of it. Um, to add the context to that, Dave, Dave made a bet with me and two other people that the Steelers would win both games. I thought that was a good odd. Um, made the bet and said whoever whoever loses has to buy a pint. And um, Dave rinsed me for a pint after the game yesterday. So, bit of a win-win game for me, though. To be fair. Um, anyway, moving on to the fixtures that are up and coming. We've got Saturday the 29th of December, so that is actually today. Now, it's currently 10 past 1 in the morning as we're recording this. Now, it is Belfast Giants versus the Glasgow clan in Belfast. What do you reckon, gents? Belfast. 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 And a full house for Belfast on that one. Uh, we've then got Coventry and Nottingham in Coventry. 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 Not again. Ah, this is a difficult one. I'm going to say Coventry. I'm going to stick with Gref and Dave on that one. So three to one on that one. Uh, and then the final game on Saturday is the Steelers versus the Storm in Sheffield. I'll kick this one off. I'll say Sheffield. Sheffield. Let's just get it out of the way. We know what the next two is going to be. Sheffield. Come on, Gref. Don't let us down. Obviously, Manchester. What a there surprise, the Steelers fans say the Steelers, <laughs> the Storm fans say the Storm, no surprise there. Um, only two games on Sunday, Sunday the 30th of December, we have Guildford versus Cardiff in Guildford. Cardiff. 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 I'll go against the grain, I think Guildford might get a result out of that one. Uh, and then we've got Belfast versus Dundee in Belfast. 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 Dundee, Belfast. I'm going to say so three to one on that one. Then we've I got. They're at home. It's their third game in three nights. So that's why I'm going for Dundee. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I'm not, I'm not spotted that, but I'll, I'll stick with mine. I'll not, I'll not jump on your bandwagon there, Dave. Um, New Year's Eve, Monday the thirty first of December. We've got Glasgow versus Fife in Glasgow. Hogwarty win for the clan. At a strange time of 2 p.m., think so. I'm going to say Clan. Clan. Yeah, full house for the Clan there, I think. Um, and then we've got Nottingham versus Coventry in Nottingham. 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 Start the new year well, I think Nottingham are going to, uh, well, end the year well, should I say. I think Nottingham are going to get the win in the home building and kick off um, with the right, you know, the positive note for the new year. So I'll say Nottingham on that as well. Um, then New Year's Day, we've got Cardiff versus Guildford in Cardiff. 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 A full house for Cardiff on that one. And then we've got Storm versus Steelers in Manchester. Steelers. Storm. Steelers. And you go Storm on that one. Um, we've then got Wednesday the 2nd of Jan Fife versus Milton Keynes in Kokodi Fife 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 yeah full house for Fife on that one uh, then Dundee versus Glasgow in Dundee 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 I'm going to say Clark 
I'm going to go with Dundee, so I'll stick with uh, Andy and Dave. Uh, and then Nottingham, Guildford in Nottingham. Guildford. 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 Full house for Guildford on that one. Um, the last one that I think we'll say is Thursday the 3rd of Jan. We're not 100% sure when we're going to be recording yet. We're hoping to be recording before um, the Friday because Dave and Andy and myself are all off to Belfast. So we're hoping to get that recording in before Friday. But we'll go with the Thursday result as well just to make sure we're covering the ground. And obviously all being well, we'll be able to get that recording in beforehand. But we've got Dundee versus Milton Keynes in Dundee. 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 And Dundee. So a nice full house to finish on there for Dundee. Um, as you say, hopefully we'll get that recorded in before we get off to Belfast. We will do our best to make sure that happens. Um, but for the time being, that brings episode 16 to a close. Um, so, gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, thank you to everybody that has been listening um, to this episode. As I say, at the start of the episode, we apologise. I think we've all got a bit of cold. So you may hear a few uh, a few blocked noses and a few coughs in the background, but we do apologise for that. Uh, hopefully the new year will bring us a bit better health, so hopefully there won't be as many sniffles and, uh, and coughs. But hopefully um, you've enjoyed the episode, and we hope everybody that's listening has a very good new year. And, um, yeah, thank you very much, Dave. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was proud to see us all um, podcast through the pain of the cold and illness. So... Uh... And to you all, uh, Andy, Gref and Joe, uh, a happy new year and all the best for 2019. Happy new year, sir. Um, Gref, thank you very much, sir. Hope that the new bring new year brings you some new teeth. I hope it brings me good health as well. <laughs> and I apologise, as you probably mentioned, for people hearing me cough. <laughs> no worries, mate. We're just uh, happy that you fought through the, uh, fought through the illness to, uh, to make an appearance today. So thank you very much, sir. Um, and Andy, thank you very much. You fought through your Samsung issues. You've uh, you've you've got the laptop on the go. Um, so yes, thank you very much. Have a good New Year. It's not just Samsung. It's whatever issues and everything else. It's not good. It's not nothing works in my house. I'll just say that. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Have a great New Year, you three. Uh, thanks again, and happy New Year to everyone listening. Yeah, uh, echo everything that everybody's already said. Have a happy new year, guys, and uh, we'll see you soon for another episode of My Fancy Zamboni. Thank you.